Greetings, hypothetical listeners. You know, they always said I had a voice for radio. But then again, they also said that I was a nobody, a chump. And I'd never amount to anything. That I was born a loser and that's what I'd always be. That I'd never make it out of this one-horse town to earn a name for myself out in the big city. They say you can't make an omelet without breaking a few horses. They say you can lead an egg to water, but you can't make them drink. But think about it. Who are they? Can you really trust them and what they say? You might be thinking, but the they in the idioms and aphorisms of our oral culture is a general they, an impersonal they, expressing no particular person, and certainly not a mysterious cabal of cloaked humanoid figures in a luxury emergency bunker built without official sanction during the height of the Cold War, over a mile below the surface whose only entrance lies in a vault just outside of Trementina, New Mexico, accessible only to an elite few but rather an unknown, unspecified group or individual required by English grammar. But how do you know that? Who told you that? Was it them? You all know the secret to the best summer salad is in the ingredients. Fresh peeled carrots, strong flavorful cheese, crisp lettuce, juicy tomatoes, just a hint of homemade dressing, and a pint of arterial blood from a little old spring lamb. Gently poured into the form of a pentagram with five black candles of tallow rendered from the adipose of unbelievers. Setting aside the matter of mysterious men in deep, dark dungeons hidden in the hot, dry desert, the prairies, too, are hot and dry, now in summer's peak and summer's heat. They say it isn't so much the heat as the humidity, and the dry air has long licked all the moisture from the bones of the earth. The prairie is hot and dry. The prairie is very hot and very, very dry. The prairie is literally on fire. So keep an eye out and report all fires. Fires can be anywhere, in your neighborhood, in your school, even in your own home. And remember the rules of fire safety. Always put out any fire you set and never leave a campfire unattended. If you spot a wildfire, report it immediately to the local wildlife service. Do not attempt to fight the wildfire. Wildfires are wily, unpredictable opponents, as well as master martial artists. And fighting one may be placing your own life in peril. Now it's time for our world news segment. To begin, an American presidential election update. Well, the party primaries are underway, and so the election season begins. Or does it? Doesn't one election cycle have to end before another can begin? Seasons require change by definition, and there is no memory, no evidence of a time before the ongoing election, nor conception of a time after. There is no past, no future. There is only the campaign. You wake up, no. You merely come to awareness as if you came into being in this very moment in a homey mom-and-pop diner, deserted, and step out into the empty street after leaving a few dollars by the abandoned register. Faded bunting festoons the corners of quaint, disused buildings, while torn streamers trail through the gutters in grubby, ragged, red, white, and blue. Small-town America. 
mainstream Idaho? Or is it New Hampshire? South Carolina? Maybe it is all of them. The world is silent, empty, hollow. The air is still and stale as the mausoleum. And yet, you hear it. A tinny brass band cover of America the Beautiful, playing just within perception. So faint it wavers between hearing and memory. You set off, walking due west, never turning, never wavering in your path ever towards the setting sun. Time passes, gravel and campaign buttons crunching beneath your feet, but there's no sign of life to see. You walk for hours, for what feels like hours, but might be minutes or days. But no matter how long you walk, no matter the weight of your limbs, no matter the pounding of your head, the pain in the soles of your feet, the horizon draws no closer. The sun dips no lower from where it hangs, picturesque in the red sky. Small-town Americana yet surrounds you. You begin to run, but the local banks, the tiny general stores, the family-run restaurants encircle you, trap you, follow you. Your breath quickens, your pulse races. America the beautiful swells to a triumphant crescendo, and then you realize... All the cars stranded in the street like forgotten toys with their bright blue and red bumper stickers. You haven't read what they say. You kneel by the bumper of a shiny, mint-conditioned automobile by a big manufacturer that shifted production overseas years ago that hasn't produced this particular model in decades. Your eyes follow the names splashed across the sticker in large assertive letters without comprehension. You read it again, then a third time. You don't know these names. You've never heard of either of these candidates, and all around the names on the other bumper stickers are much the same. Jumbles of letters forming American-sounding but unintelligible, unrecognizable names. But wait. This sticker is above another sticker, above an entire mountain of stickers, layered atop one another in a pile inches thick. Each subsequent sticker placed before the previous one has had the time to wear off or even fade. You peel back the topmost sticker, then the next and the next, peeling back sticker after sticker until you reach a faded red rectangle reading Romney Ryan. The next is McCain Palin, then Carrie Edwards and Gore Lieberman and tears come to your eyes. I know this. I know this. The words escape dusty, cracked lips. You tear at the stickers, pulling away entire strata at a time. Dukakis Benson, McGovern Shriver, Cox Roosevelt, Greeley Gratz. Your cuticles snag and your fingers shred as you rip away presidencies never born, presidents never to be possessed by the profane knowledge that in the last sticker, the first ticket lies the truth. Buren Polk, King Tompkins, Pickney Clinton, Hancock Lincoln, hands shaking, bleeding, peel the last layer away, and then, and then... <laughs> Thank you.
Fun fact, probably the tallest conceptualized roller coaster, here meaning the tallest coaster proposed or designed, rather than the tallest built, is 510 meters. That's 1,670 feet for the holdouts in the United States of America and the Republic of Liberia who still use the imperial system. For context, the tallest roller coaster ever built stands at a height of 139 meters at its highest point. 456 feet if you really must insist. The track of this hypothetical coaster begins with a steep lift hill, which the car with its 24 passengers climbs for a couple minutes, followed by an immediate drop of 500 meters, bringing the car to a speed of 360 kilometers per hour, approximately 220 miles per hour to all you arbitrary measurement fans, and seven successive semi-clothoid inversions in the vernacular upside-down loop-de-loops, each smaller than the last in order to maintain lethal g-forces as the car slows. That's right, lethal. Named the Euthanasia Coaster and designed by artist Eulionis Urbonus, the function of the design is to kill the coaster's passengers through prolonged starvation of oxygen to the brain. The last several loops aren't even strictly necessary to ensure death, but are in fact an example of thoughtful engineering and passive redundancy, just in case of those rare outliers who happen to survive the extreme cerebral hypoxia caused by the first few loops. The work is a discussion of the limits of the human body and the way in which we test and use those limits, the way in which we use the threat of death and danger to heighten and flavor our experience of life, something for which a roller coaster makes a perfect metaphor. It is also a comment upon the nature of the end of life, given that the death met by the passengers of the coaster would be one of euphoric joy, certainly a far more pleasant experience than the average natural demise. The design of the euthanasia coaster was criticized by anti-euthanasia groups on the grounds that it would kill people. Where are you? Where are you right now? If you are not in the arms of a raging inferno or in the pocket of stale air a mile below the desert sand, then where are you? Are you warm? Are you safe? Are you home? Do you walk through the outer world, everyone's and no one's, alone and exposed? Or have you returned to familiar halls, familiar walls, where no danger may find you? Only comfort, only rest, only pleasant waking dreams. I'm visiting home this week, and I begin to wonder when home became somewhere that I visit. A destination rather than a departure. When home became there rather than here, then rather than now, and when the person who breathed this air and knew these walls became someone I was rather than someone I am, I returned to old places, 
familiar spaces to find them strange, always wondering, never knowing, if they have changed or have I. I wander as the one who returned, nostalgic, bereft, and I wonder of the self who never left. I live the life of a me who never had the chance to be, who never was, hear the unreal echoes of stillborn possibilities. In this way, I inhabit my own ghost. This place, this intersection of time and space, has left an indelible mark upon my spirit. But it has no sole dominion, no sovereign right to my patchwork soul. In a way, I can never leave. In a way, I can never return. If you are home this very moment, then I beg you, step outside. Look into the endless sky and walk into the empty field where once stood the playground where the child you were once played. Stand between the disturbed earth that marks where the merry-go-round was plucked from its roots and the graffitied sign that went up a few years back promising a new luxury housing development that has since fallen through. A forlorn pawn dashed from the board of an esoteric game of infinite stakes played by the immensely wealthy, the immeasurably well-connected, and the inhumanly old. It lies forgotten. Reach up to grab the monkey bars whose metal has long rusted out, whose rust has long scattered on the wind. You remember, don't you? Swinging from bar to bar, hesitant, clumsy at first, then quick, agile, as you grew bigger before you outgrew them entirely. That moment, that child is a part of you. But you can never be them again. You cannot repeat, relive that moment. You've outgrown them too. The idea of home becomes disjointed, diffuse, dislocated as you move from place to place, as you change apartments, houses, cities, families, friends. Home has to become something bigger, broader than the four-by-six bedroom with glow-in-the-dark stars stuck to the ceiling, with sticky-tack and the hope and ambitions of a gap-toothed eight-year-old. Bigger than the patch of yellow-brown grass that was the jungle of your imagination. Bigger than the corner store down the street or the library downtown. Because one day you will leave them behind or time will take them from you just as surely. Home must be something you carry with you, so fashion it into a locket and wear it above your breastbone. It must be everywhere you've been and everywhere you'll go, so that you may have home wherever you are. Home must be everything and everyone you love, no matter where or when you left them behind. and salutations writer producer slash voice actor here if you have enjoyed this podcast or if you have absolutely hated it but have a deep vein of masochism and wish it to continue please consider subscribing to my patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash bird calling thank you very much for listening